from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. This is the first Money Talk of the new year, January 5th, 2024. Let's check the calendar. The Packers wrap up the season with the Chicago Bears this Sunday at Lambeau. The Bucks are in Texas tomorrow, but they're back home Monday with the Utah Jazz and the Milwaukee Admirals. Well, they're home tonight. Now for something a little different, JMB Sports Bar is having a New Year's celebration tonight for those who missed celebrating last weekend. And you should bring a note from home and explain why you're absent. <laughs> My New Year's resolution was to be kinder to Florida. Well, that didn't even last a week. <laughs> From Lee County, Florida, the cops are looking for a guy who walked into a Bass Pro Shop, brought his own net, and scooped up a tarpon from the fish pond, then stuck it under his arm and ran out the store. Hopefully the cops will find him before he eats the evidence. From Tampa, a Florida man was indicted for illegally trying to enter a McDill Air Force Base. He claimed he was Captain America. This imposter had an AR-15 and 125 rounds of ammo. It's obvious he's reading too many comic books. <laughs> well, let's have another one just like the other one. From Florida, a 38-year-old Florida woman is in jail for sending threatening text messages to her ex-boyfriend. She threatened to kill him and his new girlfriend if they didn't have a three-way with her. I've seen her mugshot, whoa. And finally, here's a palate cleansing non-Florida story. Philips Health is recalling hundreds of MRI machines. There are con their concerns are that the medical imaging devices could explode, and apparently one has. When they said, we're going to take a look inside your body, I don't think this is what they meant. <laughs> On the podcast, we have Adam Bailey, Joel Dreesing, and wrapping up the week, here's Kyle Titty. Well, thanks, Max. A tough start to the year. The NASDAQ, after a stellar 2023, down 3.2% to begin the first four days of trading. It closed at the bell at 14,524. The S&P 500 down 73 points on the week. That's 1.5%, closing at 46.97. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average, uh, despite an up day on Friday, adding 26 points, lost 224 points on the week to close down six-tenths of a percent. Finishing the week at 37,466. Yields mostly across the board, modestly higher on the week. As you look at your bond portfolio, going to see a little bit of a, a price give back after weeks, really months rather, uh, of what had been a pretty sh uh, sharp rally in bonds and bond funds. You know, Joel, maybe the place to start uh, this week as we enter a new year is just a reminder. Uh, that, you know, the words you put on an email earlier today to us were that we are in a weaker, strong economy. And it's a, a an interesting way to put it, but I think it's the correct way to put it in that signs are the economy is still doing all right, but the goal has been to soften. Right. Um, and we are seeing that softening. Yeah, we want that weaker, we, weaker economy because um, that means that inflation is more in control, getting back to the Federal Reserve's target 2%. Um, and But we want a strong economy. We don't want people to be losing their jobs willy-nilly. We don't you know, want to have companies uh, distressed. Um, and so, we, yeah, we had signs in the, the jobs report today, which is always a, a strong indicator, something a lot of economists look at to see 
you know, what's going on with the economy. We had signs there that the economy is strong, unemployment rate 3.7%, which is historically low. Um, the employers added 216,000 jobs, which is the 36th month in a row that they've added jobs. Um, but those 216 compared to 225,000 for the 12-month average, and that's down from 399,000 the, the year before. So we're seeing signs that although that strength of the economy, the, the labor market continues, it, it is weakening. You know, I like the theme of the the weaker, strong economy. Uh, just before we sat down to do the show, I actually had a phone call with a client of mine where we were talking about uh, this, this very subject. Um, and I, I gave him an analogy, and I think I'll share it. I, I had a little bit of a different take on it. Uh, I likened it to a bit of a road trip. Um, you know, the Bailey family loves road trips, and we'll be packing up for one here in a couple months, going down to, like, Alabama, Florida. And, you know, just my wife and I and three kids in the car for many hours and you spend a lot of time just cruising at like 70, 75 miles an hour. And you eventually you have to slow down. And it, it kind of begs the question, well, why are you slowing down? Are you slowing down because there's a crash ahead? Or are you slowing down because you reached your destination? And perhaps it's the latter, not the former. Perhaps we're slowing down because we've reached our destination and we can find our exit ramp and we can just take county highways to where we need to go. And I think that's a great analogy to where we are in the economy. We no longer need to be going at 70, 75 miles an hour. Uh, we've reached our destination. That's a, it's a good way to view it. Well, and I think we also need to remember that the highway was pretty much shut down for a year, a year and a half with COVID. And so we were pre-COVID at a pretty healthy place and, and cruising along, as you say, Adam. And then all of a sudden, we came to a standstill for a little while. Money wasn't moving as quickly as it did. We saw this pileup of cash. We saw, you know, all kinds of noise in the labor market. Um, and then we spent really 2022, 2023 kind of clawing back. Um, and in some areas, seeing massive gains because all it really was was the hangover from, well, we got to get where we're going when we thought we were going to get there, which means we got to go a little quicker right now. Um, and now, you know, what I'm seeing and what I'm talking to clients about is, well, the economy is really just back to where it was pre-COVID in a lot of ways, that the pace of growth, the pace of inflation, the pace of so many things that we look at is really just coming back to where it was supposed to be pre-COVID. And it's all that COVID noise that's kind of washed out. You know, Joel, the other thing I saw in some of that economic data was wage growth and how encouraging it is to see um, what's been wage growth that's outpaced uh, inflation now going on eight consecutive months. Yeah, and that's something that I know Adam always talks about looking at, and I actually um, sent the two of you a chart today looking at, at that. And usually uh, wages year to year outpace inflation, but that hasn't been the case since early 2021 and into, you know, into up until like last spring. Um, so now that that uh, has sort of continued, uh, that we're, we're back to, wages up pacing inflation, that's a good thing because people will feel confident in their spending and that's what keeps the economy going. Yeah, it really goes back to consumer spending, which drives 70% of our economy. And you know, for me as an economist, it's my number two favorite thing to see all time, wages rising faster than inflation. And wages are up 4.1%, inflation's still around three-ish, uh, cooling a little bit into next year. And it just underpins a relatively healthy consumer base, 
uh, that we have extra money in our pockets, even though it doesn't always feel that way. Um, we, we can be out and be spending and being consumers, and that really is the driving force of the economic momentum. What's your favorite indicator? It's actually two things together. Um, so, so here's my number one all-time favorite thing to see. Growth in the working age population and growth in productivity. Uh, if you want to grow an economy long term, this is, this is how you grow GDP. It's having more workers and having your workers be more productive. That's my number one favorite thing to see. Productivity is on the rise. Uh, working population, um, we haven't seen that rise in a meaningful fashion. That's tougher. Uh, there have been um, increases um, because of more women getting back in the workforce after stopping out uh, during COVID. And, and also, um, there's been more immigration. Um, and that's, that's helped a little, too. It has. And something that we're watching closely. Well, and I think the, uh, the other side of your favorite indicator, at least half of your favorite indicator, is that we've also seen a rise in the ranks of the retired. Not just that the total payrolls number has climbed, but also the number of folks that have said, you know what, I don't need to work anymore, has gone up. And so their, their spending is less tied to the labor market. Their spending is less tied to wages overall. It's more tied to, has the value of my house gone up? Has the value of my portfolio gone up? What kind of cost of living adjustment am I getting on my Social Security? And so following a year in which portfolio values were up um, significantly, following a year in which housing values rose, um, although not always the best indicator of immediate spending, but it makes you feel a little wealthier, you know, I think the, the majority of those in the retirement ages are looking at kind of their financial situation and going, well, I'm certainly not any worse off. And in most cases, I'm probably better off and more willing now to spend. And so you have kind of two pieces of the consumption pie. Those that are working, they feel a little better because their wages have outpaced inflation. And those that have retired, well, they're a little more willing to spend because they've got more to spend. And Kyle, those retirees were less susceptible to interest rates as they went up too, because they're more likely to own their houses. They're more likely not to have, um, you know, the sort of consumer loans that would uh, con constrain spending. So they could keep on spending. And of course, we talked at length about how perhaps the Fed's tools weren't the best tools for the inflation mess we'd gotten into, that you didn't strictly have an oversupply of cash and an undersupply of goods and services, you really had a an environment in which we had constriction because of COVID, getting back to my earlier points. And so um, if you are in a position in which you have cash, you don't need to count on borrowing for your spending, especially big ticket purchases, houses, cars, appliances, um, well, you're probably not going to slow down all that much simply because, uh, you know, the 10-year treasury went from one and a half to five. And so um, I think that's a pretty uh, important point to understand and maybe why it took the Fed as long as it did to see inflation really come down meaningfully. You know, I think this is the time of year, Adam, in which we always get um, questions on what our forecast is for the year. We always get questions on kind of, well, here's what happened last year and, and is that going to carry on? Of course, you know, I'm fond of saying and have said for a long time that I don't necessarily think a calendar year is the best benchmark for what's actually going on for investors. I've got an article in the newsletter uh, set to go out this afternoon talking about that very thing. 
Um, but, you know, I think it is worthwhile to point out that um, 2023 pretty well encapsulated some meaningful trends. One of those trends was, uh, you know, a focus on this magnificent seven, right, on a small number of stocks that drove a lot of return. I think, Adam, it's probably fair to say that uh, some of those stocks now look a little expensive. Um, and maybe this year the story changes a little bit in terms of where we should expect returns going forward. Yeah, you look back not just over last year, but the past several years, it seems that and it feels that growth has just led the charge and U.S. stocks have led the charge year after year after year. And at some point, the baton gets passed to other areas of the market. And growth stocks in particular, uh, the Magnificent Seven, as we've mentioned, um, they're, they're starting to look pretty expensive. And in our world, when something is really that expensive, it can also be vulnerable to a decline. There's other areas of the market outside of the top biggest, uh, uh, top 10 stocks that are more reasonably priced. And not just here in the United States, but overseas as well. You take a look at uh, non-U.S. companies. There's a lot of really well-run companies overseas that pay good dividends, that have good cash flows. And that's another one of the areas you look back over the past 14 years, United States businesses have led the charge in terms of market outperformance. Uh, at some point, we'll see non-U.S. stocks have their day in the sun. Well, and I think you bring up two really important points. The first is that there are expensive businesses out right there out there right now. Some of them are expensive for a reason, just like there's cheap businesses some of them are cheap for a reason. And so as we look at kind of the outlook ahead, there's plenty of reasons to think that some of that Magnificent Seven, that some of those growth stocks that have led, continue to participate in the rally. There's also some reason to think that, well, okay, maybe some of these are in for a little bit of reversion to the mean. The second point you mentioned, though, on international stocks is one that, um, you know, I don't think I can stress enough. And that is that there's some great businesses out there in the rest of the world that as a strictly U.S.-focused investor, you don't maybe get to participate in. And so while I am, I think, a little overly cautious at times on what's going on in the rest of the world right now, that's a more economic picture for Europe or Asia than it is company-specific. And there is such a difference between great companies and great countries and you can be a great company domiciled in a country that's having problems um, and still provide strong returns, still provide good opportunity for investors. And so I don't discount uh, non-U.S. stocks solely because I have some concerns about the global economy, because to your point, there are still great businesses out there that you want to own long term. You know, the other, I think, meaningful trend of 2023, or meaningful trends really, two, one, uh, this uh, emergence of artificial intelligence uh, and the early innings of what that technology looks like. Uh, and the other is some meaningful shifts in the way we treat certain kinds of disease and thinking specifically of uh, some of these GLP-1 inhibitors that some of the pharma pharmaceutical companies have come out with to deal with severe obesity, to deal with diabetes, um, and, you know, finding some other treatment path, uh, uh, paths for those drugs. But that was the year last year in which these things emerged. And I think now 2024 becomes the year in which 
we find ways to start to implement these drugs, these these uh, these artificial intelligence technologies, and monetize for for broader business. Yeah, the way I've been looking at it is that the past couple of years, it's we, we've been developing so many of these things, whether it be uh, AI or um, you know, medications to deal with big time human issues and health issues. And we're now just in the very early innings of beginning to implement that. And to be honest, we really don't have a, a clear course in front of us and how that's going to play out. But it's good to see so many of the things that we have been developing are now real and they're beginning to be implemented in people's lives. And as Adam, as you said before, I mean, uh, our population growth, the working age population growth doesn't have strong prospects right now. But as you're talking, productivity might. Well, and productivity might uh, because of the very things we're talking about, because artificial intelligence has the potential to make businesses and individual workers more productive. Now, that that's job destruction, certainly in some places, and that might make, a, a, um, might make people nervous, but also the history of technological innovation in our country is actually job creation, not job destruction. It's just that those jobs look very different than the jobs that existed prior to that implementation. And with a limited working age population, I mean, sometimes technology is necessary. That's what you do when you've got fewer people to work with. Well, I think that's the key. But I think the other key is that as we find ways to make workers healthier, you may be able to expand on what their useful working life is, right? Because they're not succumbing to uh, disease the way that they used to. They, they aren't having to take time away from the workplace uh, in order to go through treatments for certain kinds of things that now we can treat with medications. Now, again, we're early days of a lot of this stuff, but um, you know, I think the, the studies have been pretty promising. These are things that have real opportunity, not just for the underlying pharmaceutical company that made them, but for the economy more broadly, um, because it's going to make us healthier as a population. You know, Adam, maybe the uh, biggest question on everybody's mind for 2024 is around um, the Fed, the soft landing, kind of this idea that um, at some point in time, the Fed is going to have to pivot. I think they came around to that idea at the December meeting. You look at the dot plot from December, it clearly shows that the Fed has come around to the idea that rates are going to have to start to go lower. Now, again, we talked about a weaker, strong economy we're still not at that point in which you worry about being forced to cut. But, you know, with that soft landing at least still intact for now, I think the Fed's opportunity is pretty broad at this point. Yeah, we're, we're kind of dancing around a topic that I kind of wrote down before we sat down for the show of just expectations for 2024, big picture economic expectations. And, and I wrote down an acronym. Uh, actually, it's an acronym using numbers. I don't know if there's a, th a number in. I just might have made up a board. <laughs> but 2024, and and I and I kind of wrote down my expectations for the year of you know two percent real GDP growth, a near zero percent chance of a recession given all the economic strength that are at our back, uh, two percent inflation maybe by year end, and four percent unemployment. Um, you know, you can spell that out with numbers is 2024, but I think that's a very realistic expectation of what we might ha have ahead of us. And, you know, what is the Fed going to do in that environment? Uh, they're expected to cut rates at some point towards the end of this year, perhaps. The market, however, is anticipating somewhere around six or seven rate cuts. 
I don't see how that one's going to be realistic, so we're going to have to work through that one. But the Federal Reserve, by their own estimation, they have planned on overshooting a little bit and bringing back to neutral uh, interest rates maybe by the end of this year. And I think that really is uh, the question that we'll be pondering, especially early in the year, is it's really difficult to get the markets five, six, seven cuts that it's expecting if you don't start early, um, because you're going to have to cut a lot more later. Um, And the only reason the Fed would do that is because they're worried about economic weakness. And so if a weaker, strong economy, I'll keep saying it just so that it sticks, but if a weaker, strong economy is what we're in for for much of the early part of this year, it's unlikely the Fed is going to do a ton early, which means they may be spot on with their forecasts of two to three cuts this year, maybe a little more depending on you know what, what actually shapes up in the second half. But um, that leads to a market that now is going to count on earnings to really carry us through uh, and allow things to grow. And on the earnings front, things seem to look okay. Yeah, we're just about to kick off earnings season um, to get a sense on what earnings were in the fourth quarter this year, uh, last year, and expectations for all of this year. You know, starting out the year, we do have a really good handle on what earnings growth expectations might be for all of 2024. Current estimates, somewhere between 10 and 12% earnings growth, possibly. Not that stocks are going to be up that, but it's good to see earnings estimations up that much. And 10 the 10 to 12% earnings growth uh, is a sizable number. Maybe we got to walk back some of those earnings expectations. They might be too rosy. But even still, you walk back 12 to 7, that's still a good number. And if we do see some more cuts that supports higher multiples on the stock market, um, we already see some fairly some fairly uh, optimistic multiples out there. So, you know, that 7% earnings growth, maybe it does translate into 5 or, or or more percent on stock returns. You add in a dividend, and all of a sudden, you're pretty close to an average year for stocks. Now, it's really difficult to say that's where we are at the end of this year because I think, you know, we know the questions now, and the, answer, uh, and the answers to them have yet to be revealed. Um, but at a minimum, I think now we know what we're looking at. There's certainly a host of other uncertainties out there as it comes to the election, the, uh, you know, the continuing operation of our government and whether or not we can pass uh, continuing budget resolutions. Those are all, um, you know, questions I think that will weigh on the near term of the stock market. But as investors, I think what we're really concerned about is what's the opportunity set look like, not just for 2024, but as we look out, you know, the next three to five years or more, um, and I, I truly believe we're in the very early innings of an opportunity set for stock investors um, and for the economy more broadly, driven by productivity gains, driven by a meaningful technological shift um, that are going to set up pretty nicely for stock returns that, that are going to keep investors happy beyond just a single year. With that, uh, a pleasure to do the program for you in the new year. We always enjoy doing it. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalk@landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com. <laughs>